Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to week nine of the in-season edition of the Philacrosophy podcast with PLL Chaos head coach, Andy Towers. AT, how are you doing this week? I'm still above average. Above average, as usual? Yep. All right, good. So we had, a, we had a, another great Sunday night of lacrosse last night, and I want to start off with that because I just love Sunday night lacrosse. I really do. Like, the weekend's over almost – yeah, nothing going on, um, and it's just nice to be able to chill out and watch good lacrosse. Um, and uh, Penn State, Ohio State, was a game that I was so looking forward to to see what Ohio State really had um, being tested. And and we already kind of you know realized that Penn State's for real, but to see how they did, and they 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 played very well. Um, Grant Amen was awesome. They didn't have their best midi in Kelly, or arguably one of their top players in Kelly. Maybe not their best midi because Spillane's pretty awesome too. But Kelly's unbelievable, and he didn't play. He was, a, I guess, a healthy scratch. They didn't say what happened with that. Um, but uh, Penn State, um, you know, even with a lot less possession time, Ohio State kind of dominated the, the possession, but Penn State ended up really uh, asserting themselves and showing why that a lot of people have them as a the number one team in the country. Yeah, I echo your sentiment as it relates to Sunday night lacrosse games. I, I'm looking forward to it the whole weekend, and I was driving all over the place. Our sixth grade team had two away games. I drove up to watch Brown Penn and then came back, and just to know that that game was going to be coming on at 7 o'clock on Sunday, I, frankly, I wish they would do that with more games. Um, and arguably, you know, the best game of the weekend – going into the weekend there was you know there was probably three or four or five games that were also very very good games but this definitely um you know was one to look forward to especially with grant amen coming back healthy ohio state coming off a tough game where they grossly underachieved against Rutgers the week before penn state beat maryland and then coming back you know kind of set up in my opinion for ohio state to beat penn state but i think what we found out um or you know, was reinforced is the fact that Penn State is, they're the best team in the country. You know, they just, they got, they just seem unflappable on offense. And now that their defense is starting to play really well and they're solid in the goal, I don't know if they're spectacular in the goal, but they're solid in the goal. I think they're spectacular at the X with Arcieri, although he wasn't spectacular in this game against um, Ignacio and, and Penn State. I think that, you know, he finishes the game 11 and 23 and Penn State still finds a way to win, um, you know, by five goals or whatever it was. It really, you know, you're starting to see a Penn State team that two weeks in a row have won with areas of their game with Grant Ament last week going 0 and 2 and getting hurt, but coming back against Maryland, and then this week, them, you know, getting beat at the X, where typically they're beating everybody, um, you know, for them to win these games against big-time teams and not having success 
in areas of the game where they typically have had success throughout the course of the season really speaks to how complete of a team this Penn State group is. And that really uh, has got to cause some concern for teams that are going to be looking across the box on game day against them as the season finishes out and we go into the Big Ten tournament and ultimately the NCAA playoffs. Yeah, Penn State's got, you know, they got legitimate speed and coordination on D. They got, you know, they're fast. They're not that big, but they're fast and they're aggressive and they pressure you and they, they help. Obviously, the face-offs, you know, um, huge. This next week, I'm doing a, uh, a breakdown with Greg Beast on, the, on our series um, and Woodall and Ireland. And, um, again, those three are the best. And, and so Penn State's got that, you know, box checked. Even when it's, he's not at his best, he's still one of the best. Totally. And then offensively, I mean, Amen is—he's a special talent, you know. I mean, I saw you—I saw you on Twitter put him up there in the top ten feeders of all time, and he's still a junior in college. So, how, how could, I mean, how can he not be based on the year that they've had to this yeah, point? I agree, man. I mean, how? I mean, he's putting up six assists kind of regularly. And but the thing is, is that he can attack you from different spots. I saw somebody else mention on Twitter this too. I mean, you know, he's obviously great on the razor picks on the goal line, sort of corner dodges. He's great when he has you hung up. He can change direction as quick as anybody. He can post you up. He's not a big guy, but he sticks his body right in there and starts like shuffling in and looking and just daring you, you know, to do something stupid on him, like slide. Um, and you know, he, he can kind of hitch and go top side and, and, and rip a nine yard shot on the run, which he did last night. Also, I mean, um, the guy's really well balanced and it makes a big difference without Kelly. I was wondering if Penn state was going to be able to create as much offense, you know, um, with their short, shorty matchups. A lot of times when you lose a key guy like that, you know, it, it, it changes the matchups for a lot of other guys. Um, but they still are able to play this really, you know, cool team team style of play where they've got shooters that are getting open and shooting the ball. They've, they all know their roles. They got Dodgers that can beat their match up and they, you know, they, they play, they kind of dodge from tight and turn corners on you. They fake like crazy. Um, they're just so well coached and fun to watch. I, I absolutely love watching Penn state play. Yeah. I, I, it's so interesting. I also think one of Amen's, uh, you know, best characteristics of his, he's just is such an unbelievably good decision maker. Yeah. A lot of times when you see these guys that put up these huge body point numbers, they also come along with the baggage of a lot of turnovers as well. And I'm looking at just his stat line right now, and I see he's two and six, zero turnovers. That's unbelievable. Two shots on goal. So he shoots 100%. He gets, you know, eight points. They, you know, they don't make any mistakes. He, he just – in terms of his decision-making and his overall playmaking ability, he really is unbelievable. Now, the sort of the statistical resurgence of Pat Spencer in the last three weeks kind of following that Duke game, um, I, I do believe that he has you know, reaffirmed that he's the front-runner for the Player of the Year award. But I really think if, if we were responsible or the voters were responsible, they would wait and see how the season plays out. It yeah. wouldn't be fun to see Penn State Loyola play in the national championship and have that national player of the year award and attackment of the year awards hanging in the balance as, uh, 
you know, as that game plays out in front of the, uh, the whole world. Well, generally the Toraton um, does have uh, a postseason, you know, bias. And so the more you win, the better, the best, usually the best player on the best team, you know, is getting that award, it, it, you know, within reason. It, it happens. But how many times has the Toraton winner not made it to a Final Four? I don't think um, ever, right? Uh, well, I think, I think actually, uh, what, was a, what was a face-off guy from Hofstra? Doug, Shan Doug Shanahan, yeah. I think he might be one of the only ones. I think so. So, uh, so it's going to be interesting. But um, let's move on to Loyola Lehigh. Um, Pat Spencer puts up a cool five and six. You know, I, I, uh, I only saw highlights of this game. I didn't get a chance to watch it. Um, I need to track this down. But, um, man, like, just watching, <laughs> watching Pat Spencer operate, he's so under control. Um, and he's just constantly pulling out another piece of his repertoire that you haven't seen, like that that little box lacrosse type of play that he made from the from the righty wing against the shorty, where he kind of like bodied his guy, spun like he was inside rolling, and then just went right back to a wind up. That's what Canadians do all the time. Right. Um, and uh, just, I mean, it's just like one thing after another. It's just unbelievable. Did you watch that game? Uh, I watched portions of it. Um, I just, you know, I was wrong. I thought that Lehigh would come in and Lehigh would win the game. I thought Lehigh would, would control the X. And in the process of doing that, I thought that they would be able to expose what, you know, I, I had considered sort of an unproven defense. And what a bent nail. I mean, I'm like checking the score and it's six zip, nine two. And all I can think about was, I'm on a podcast talking about how Lehigh is going to control the X and, you know, use offensive efficiency to break down Loyola. And I was totally wrong. Uh, you know, credit Bailey Savio again. He does it. You know, I, 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 I guess I just have to stop talking smack about Bailey Savio because my ass hurts from him again, stepping up, going 16 for 27 in the game. That was his final numbers, 11 GBs. Um, but certainly that, along with Pat Spencer going five and six, these are Casey Powell-type games. You know, they're just – it's just – it's unbelievable statistically. And the, the one shock, I will say, is Kevin Lindley with only one goal. Usually when Pat Spencer goes off like that, his partner in crime is Kevin Lindley. Oh. You know, Lehigh clearly made it a point to try to take him out of the game. But in the process of doing so, you know, let the other guys hurt him. Scanlon three, Olmstead three. Duffy one and one, but Pat Spencer clearly the story of the game, along with the the the, the success of Bailey Savio at the faceoff X, facing a very very good Connor Gaffney, the faceoff guy for Lehigh. But this Loyola team, I think, is for real. I know that uh, Brian Harrington's giving me some shit on Twitter about uh, being a Loyola hater because I ranked them behind Virginia this week. But if you look at the tail of the tape. You know, you've got Loyola. They have three top 20 wins in Virginia, who they beat head-to-head, -head, and Lehigh and Rutgers. They've lost to Towson and Duke. They got Georgetown coming up, but Georgetown is now out of the top 20. And then you've got Virginia's body of work, which is four top 20 wins, Syracuse, Lehigh, Notre Dame, and Carolina. They have two top 20 losses, just like Loyola, and they've got Duke coming up. And so their resume is going to get even stronger, um, you know. So I, I think that even though Loyola did beat Virginia head-to-head, -head, 
And I just, I, I still feel that Virginia has a stronger resume than Loyola's at this point. So we'll see what happens. Um, but what a win by Loyola and Charlie Toomey and these guys. If I had to pick the top four teams right now, just from optics, I would say Penn State, Duke, Virginia, and Loyola. Those would be my top four. Well, everybody appreciates someone to commit can admit when they're wrong, E.T. Good. <laughs> Thanks so much. That means so Everybody appreciates somebody who can admit when they're assholes. Thank you so much. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. All right, um, Duke, Notre Dame. Duke really needed a win. They'd lost two in a row, and they, their offense had been sputtering, um, you know, really towards the end of the Syracuse game and then throughout the North Carolina game. Um, and they play Notre Dame at home, and, um, and they show why they're a top-four team. Um, thoughts on this game? I thought Duke would win this game. It just seems like, you know, it was the appropriate time for them to bounce back with Notre Dame coming off a win against Syracuse and Duke coming off of two frustrating losses. It just seemed like, you know, the tide was going to turn for Duke. Credit John Donowski moves Brad Smith up to back to the midfield, I should say, probably his true position. And it seems like they're just a much more balanced team with him up there. The stat that really is interesting is Nikai Montgomery with one and four from the midfield. If this kid starts to become a playmaker instead of a goal scorer, Duke is going to be super, super scary because you've got to slide to that kid. Like, you've got to slide. I don't care whether you put a short stick or a pull on him. You've got to slide or he's going to score goals off the dodge. And if he starts to become somebody that can make teams – pay for sliding to him this is a team that changes drastically um and and it certainly appears that his stat line in this game points to the fact that duke recognizes that as well and i wouldn't be surprised to see duke go on a uh, serious run as they typically do right around this time of year so i'm not surprised by this result it was worse than i thought it would be i thought notre dame would play them closer yeah. But I did expect Duke to win. Um, and so here we are. Uh, the AC I feel like Duke's offense is, is uh, you know, really gets into gear when, when their middies are able to really take advantage of, of the redodge in particular. I mean, they're just so good at that. They've been so good at that for so long. And I think by putting Smith back into the midfield, it just gave them ability to load up that midfield and be a bigger threat. And, um, you know, they, they, they typically just sort of dodge an alley and then they bounce and then they reattack and they make you change your, who you're sliding from. You kind of start out having to slide out uh, from a midi and then you got to slide off the, off the attackman who's, who's clearing through to the crease. And it just, it really puts, you know, it's so basic. They've been doing exactly the same thing for years. But, but like we've talked about, they work on individual skills and they work on their repertoire. 
and you just you see them reading the defense the same way guards in basketball kind of like attack sort of see the help coming they back out a little bit the help goes away they re-attack and they make everybody late um and um it's great it's great offense you know notre dame a little bit of a jekyll and hyde you know team i feel like you know like sometimes they can go out and win huge games and then sometimes and their defense seems awesome and then all of a sudden it it's not as good. Any thoughts on why there's why the Notre Dame defense is struggling a little bit? Uh, you know, I, I'm shocked. Usually they don't struggle, but look, at the end of the day, you know, you're dealing with college kids, and you know, sometimes they're ready to play, and sometimes they aren't. And, and yeah. you know, maybe they just weren't ready to play. Maybe they weren't focused. They were reactive instead of proactive. And teams have lapses. You know, they 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 all do in every sport. I think. When you start to look at Duke's offense, you know, I think offensive success, in my opinion, really comes down to two things, right? Um, you know, that's the quality of the unsettled situation that the Dodger can create with his on-ball matchup, right? And or the, the success of the two-man game. And then the off-ball scheme support. You know, if you can have a great Dodger who can – destroy his on-ball defender but if there's poor scheme support he's just not going to get the depth on his dodges yep. for that offense to consistently generate high quality shots and be successful and the same as the other way you know if you have great scheme support but you're not able to break down your defender off the dodge you're also going to struggle offensively and I think as you've referenced, Duke's scheme support has not changed over the years, and why should it? You know, they've only been arguably the most successful program in the last 15 years. Yeah. Um, you know, but now you start to see them being able to break people down off the dodge, and then all of a sudden we start to reference their scheme. Um, you know, it's a combination of those two things together, and I think that Brad Smith's move to midfield – makes them scarier are you going to bump up two poles uh well plus notre dame notre dame typically you know they'll they'll double pole like you know on face-off wings but they generally kind of play they they generally don't and you know the other thing is is that jerry Byrne and notre dame have set a bar that is so high for their defense that anytime they give up five goals in the fourth quarter or give up you know what seems like not a supreme defensive effort it's kind of like you know it, 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 it's strange, but then that's just, that's just, you know, them setting a bar that is so high um, over the, over the course of time. Well, let's move on to um, Hopkins Rutgers. Rutgers coming off a huge win from last week against Ohio state. Both of these teams, we, we talked about this last week, both of these teams really needed to win this game. Um, and Hopkins came through with a 15, 13 win thoughts on this game. I had picked Rutgers. I, I thought Rutgers would win the game. Um, I just thought that they were playing better than Hopkins. And, you know, again, it seems like Rutgers plays really fast, and it doesn't seem like that was a style that Hopkins would would be willing to or be able to hang with. And credit Hopkins. I mean, they, they certainly could, and they did. Joey Epstein is really – has changed their team. This is a guy that, in terms of – style of play and attack they haven't had a laterally quick explosive quick slick attacker that can really break somebody down off the dodge that way in a long 
time. I can't remember, in fact, the last attackman that was quick, slick at Johns Hopkins, you know, and was a real dodging threat with speed there. It seems like they've always had, you know, really good high school attackmen that have gone down there and never really are major dodging or became major dodging threats at the D1 level. I'm not saying, you know, Shaq Stanwick and these guys aren't great lacrosse players. They are, but they never put fear in you. They're not like slashers. Yeah, they're not slashers. And I think so much of success on the D1 level is linked to offensive success on the D1 level is linked to speed and quickness where, you know, the teams double so quickly that not only do you have to break somebody down to draw a slide, you also have to be able to draw the slide and be able to get away well enough to free your hands to either hit the outlet or, you know, feed or whatever it may be. And I think that's why, you know, we always say that the D1 game is a speed game and, and, and the players that play the fastest are the best and have the, you know, have the most success. And I think Joey Epstein has changed this offense as they continue to get away from, you know, who they maybe were at the beginning of the year. And they, you know, are sort of, um, you know, evolving into a team that understands that Joey Epstein is by far their most dangerous offensive player. This team, I think, is going to tighten up down the stretch. You know, they've been fighting to stay in the top 20 this this season and I got them I ranked them 12 this week in my poll and I know that I think today they went off at 16 or 17 I don't know what that number is but fact is with Carolina beating Duke last week that becomes a quality win for them and them beating Rutgers who was in the polls at 18 last week also became a quality win for them uh, they have a, this win effect, effectively knocked Rutgers out of the poll, but still, uh, that's two really good wins. And they've played six top 20 teams. Their losses are to Towson and Loyola and Syracuse and Virginia. And while all four of their losses were far from glamorous losses, all four opponents are very good, solidly in the top 20 teams they did lose each of those games by, you know, nine goals to Dallas, six goals to Loyola, four to Syracuse, five to Virginia, you know, all really ugly losses in terms of, you know, the, 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 the difference in score, but they do have good quality wins and they got Ohio state next game. And this is going to be a really huge game for Hopkins because it's going to either cement their confidence as a team and give them another high quality win um, or it's going to continue with this teeter-totter of a season of, you know, being out of the top 20 and then being in, you know, that 15 to 20 range. Out of the top 20, 15 to 20 range. And then you're looking at Ohio State, of course, and they're coming off of, of two tough losses, an embarrassing one to Rutgers and, you know, a good game, but a, but a decisive loss to Penn State. You know, both of these teams need this game yeah. for different reasons. It's so a must it's- win for Ohio State. They got to win this game. Got to I mean- win. Yeah, but I, also, I also think Hopkins has to win, too. Yeah. You know? Yes, they do. Now, back to the point about Epstein before we move on. You know, what you're talking about as far as, we, you know, speed and quickness is critical. But I think, I think it's even more critical to have an attackman that can win his matchup. And, and when you have that attackman that can win his matchup, 
um, it, 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 it makes it that, you know, it, it changes the complexion of your offense because now like most, most people can kind of beat their shorty, you know, especially if they're really worried about Grant Amen or Pat Spencer or, you know, Michael Krause, you know, when you can, when, when you look at the teams that, you know, last year, Ben Reeds, you look at the teams that are winning championships, Gutterding, they've got an attackman that, can win their matchup that everybody had, you have to slide to it or you have to game plan for it. If you're not going to slide and you're giving something up and, you know, over the years it's, it's been that. And I think that, um, you know, Hopkins hasn't had that guy. They, they certainly had middies like that when they won their championships and Rabel and Pizer, they've had great offenses and really good offensive players and great team offense. But, you know, you look at uh, steel Stanwick and he was able to do that, you know? And so along, along, along the, uh, over the years, I, I think it's been huge. Dom used to always talk about that. You got to have an attack. You got to have that great off a male attack. It's such a it's such a good point, and you really examine that statement and what you're really alluding to. It, you've got a guy that can beat a pole for a goal, and let's face it, you know when you are dodging from behind the goal, which is where the bulk of where Joey Epstein plays. Now he's playing a little bit more on the wings, but the fact is he's, he's for the most part, he's, you know, dodging from X, he's dodging a pole and usually they're sliding poles, right? That means there are two poles out of that four man off ball, in a sense, momentarily zone defense right. playing against five. Four covering five and you've got four two. Covering five and two of those five, I'm sorry, two of those four are short sticks and potentially three of those four are short sticks, depending upon how that possession was created, whether it was from transition yeah. or not. And, and things are just going to be wide open. And today's stick handlers and the way that they shoot and the way that they throw the ball to and through the crease, there's, there's, you just change drastically. That's a really, really uh, good assessment, Jamie. And, yeah. you know, so we move on to Maryland, Michigan real quick. Um, you know, Bernhardt's the same way. He can beat his matchup. You know, yeah. Bernhardt to, to me is like what – I mean, they've got a lot of good players in Maryland, well-coached, all that. But Bernhardt is the special guy that they have right now. Agreed. And, um, they, you know, they took care of business, 16-12 win, I think, uh, over, over, over Michigan. Vermont, big win over Albany. Yeah. Um, pumped up for uh, Chris Fife's on that one. Um, you know, they've been like really – you know, they've been struggling a little bit, but they're right – they're alive in their conference tournament, which is huge. How about Villanova going out to Denver and um, winning that game? I mean, Villanova has been a little bit of a jackal and hide, right? Um, they get, they've, they've, they've been shit kicked a couple of times. They also have some massive wins over Yale and now they beat Denver at Denver. Um, so any thoughts on that game? Uh, yes, but I, I, I called this one, Jamie. You hit the nail right on, right on the head. Yep. This is, this is one finally, finally a non bent nail. Because unfortunately, I also picked some others that were losers this weekend. But I did pick this one. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm not shocked by the outcome. I didn't realize that Denver had never lost a Big East regular season game. What a statistic that is. Six years where they had never lost a Big East regular season game. And Villanova goes out there and they needed this. You know, this is such a huge win for them. Now they've got two high quality top 20 wins with a victory over Yale and a victory over Denver. Um, and then you look at their losses, Penn State, ugly loss by 10, but whatever. It's, it's a loss to the number one team in the country. They lost to Penn. 
And they lost to Maryland. And then the outlier was obviously them losing to Drexel. But Drexel is still a very good team. They just lost a bunch of one-goal games. Yeah. You know, so you can understand. And, and Drexel did beat them up that day. They won by five goals. But this puts Villanova firmly back in the top 20. I have them ranked 19th this week. I know that other people had them ranked higher than this. I just don't see how you can rank them much higher than uh, than 19, seeing that they really only have two top 20 wins. Um, but a, certainly a team that's playing well and moving ahead. You know, they got Georgetown, I think, next weekend. And Georgetown has Loyola this Tuesday, I believe. So Georgetown's going to have their hands full. Villanova might be catching them at the right time, seeing that Georgetown is going to be consumed by their game planning for Loyola. And you know that obviously Villanova is going to get that scout. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Villanova keep the momentum going and follow this victory up with the win against Georgetown this next week. And that's going to put them at eight and four. If Georgetown's able to beat Loyola, which could happen, I don't think it's going to happen because I think Bailey Savio is going to win the faceoffs. I'm just saying it. Um, you know, but if Georgetown does find a way to beat Loyola this week, that could be an opportunity for Villanova to get yet another top 20 win. And I think Georgetown, I know Georgetown needs this win over Loyola um, because they don't have any top 20 wins. And, and Villanova has two. And a third, I think, pretty much gets them an at-large bid, whether they win the Big East tournament or not. So you, you think that Villanova can get a an at-large bid, bid with, without without winning the league. Do you think Denver can get a bid without winning the league? No. But Villanova but, due to the win over year. But, but, so Denver right now, right, they got St. John's next. Denver only has a win over 12, Towson, and a win over uh, North Carolina by two. I think what has to happen, you know, is there's just so much left to be played, right? So does Towson win the CAA? If they do, that's going to help Denver's win over them. How does UNC's season play out? They're playing better. You know, there's no question in my mind that UNC is playing the best across of their season right now. And if UNC beats Syracuse at home next weekend and then goes out and is able to beat Notre Dame, now UNC becomes a much better win for Denver. Um, but as of right now, Denver – um, I, I, don't, I don't think Denver's going to make it. Um, I just don't because uh, – but we'll see. Let's see what happens. Love to, love to. Yeah. Uh, the Phil Acrosby Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There is no question that video is a critical part to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com today. Army BU. BU with a huge win. BU might have one of those players, too. I haven't seen this kid play. What's that kid's name? Uh, for Chris Gray? Yeah, total stud. Chris Gray. Yeah, he's done. And, um, you know, they end up putting up some numbers on Army and, um, you know, really knocking Army into a position of, you know, at some point soon they're going to have to win that league to, to be able to get in the NCAA tournament. Um, 
they might have already been there due to a lack of a, a, a lot of big wins. And the wins they had maybe aren't adding up like they, they could have. But once again, this Patriot League is just a total dogfight, and they just beat the crap out of each other week after week. Yeah, they, they really do. You know, disappointing game for A.J. Barretta, seven saves, 15 goals allowed. You know, A.J. Barretta, I think, is widely considered a top five goalie in the country. I, I, I'd consider him that. Um, but certainly, a, you know, 30% save percentage in a huge in-league game didn't, didn't get it done for me. Um, and, and credit BU, they really needed to win this game, and they were able to do it. And now you look at the Patriot League standings, and certainly Loyola's at the top, and Lehigh's right behind. I think those two teams are, are firmly cemented as the top two seeds in the Patriot League. And then you're looking at, all right, how does the rest of this tournament play out? And if it ended today, and Army still has a tough team, a tough, you know, Army still has to play Loyola this weekend. But, you know, you've got Army and BU and Navy and Holy Cross. I think it's fair to say that Army and this win for BU over Army are going to make those two teams, certainly in the Patriot League playoffs. And then what are going to be the last two teams? You've got Navy, Holy Cross, Colgate, and Bucknell. Um, and Navy with a big win over Colgate this weekend has is three and three in the league. Who's it going to be? You know, what's going to, if Bucknell can, you know, pull even with Holy Cross, I think that, I think it's going to be them because they have a head to head over Holy Cross, but still, uh, again, some critical games to be played here in the Patriot league. But I think you're firmly looking at Loyal as the top team. And then I think you've got, you know, maybe Lehigh, Army, and BU is sort of the next group. And then Navy, Holy Cross, um, Bucknell. I don't think Colgate is going to be able to regain any momentum. I think we've seen the end of them um, after a great win at Syracuse to open the season. They just, they just have not been doing well. So, um, great win by BU. No question, Jamie. Yeah. All right, let's, um, let's talk about the Virginia-Carolina game. Um, Carolina coming off a huge win. Virginia coming off a, a, a string of close wins in huge games. Looking at the stats in this game, um, it was interesting because it was it was a one goal game, um, but you've got a seventeen to six face off margin of Virginia winning that battle, which resulted in a forty to twenty ground ball differential. Um, maybe not entirely, but certainly a portion of it. Uh, Clearing-wise, Carolina was 14 of 19, and Virginia was 11 of 12. Um, and then shots, you know, were, were, were pretty close in the second half, actually. But in the first half, Virginia had doubled them up 31 to 15 on their, on their shots. Yet Carolina had the 5-3 advantage at halftime, um, had, a, had a struggle in the third quarter, and, and really was in position to win this game. And I feel like that, you know, they felt like they had them. They are playing really good defense and playing better. Um, you know, were you surprised that the faceoffs went that way? Because I think in this case, it, 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 it made a pretty big difference um, in the way this game played out in, in a lot of ways, I think. I was totally surprised. I thought Zach Tucci and Ryan O'Connell were going to beat up Kitty LaSalle. Um, and I was totally wrong. Um, I'm, I'm really shocked by that. I just think that Zach Tucci 
particularly has been a real shot in the arm for North Carolina and, you know, their quest to win faceoffs. And Ryan O'Connell is a great, you know, follow-up to him to give him a rest and, and put a real scrappy, athletically superior guy out there, um, you know, to follow him up. And to Peter LaSalle's credit, you know, like what were his numbers? 16 to 23, a huge game, and they end up winning by one goal. You know, that – to me, is is the story. I mean, that's the story right there. All those additional possessions. Um, you know, usually, usually a goalie plays unbelievably well when you lose statistical battles like that at the faceoff um, statistic and 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 the ground ball statistic. I think in the end, Virginia had forty ground balls and, and Carolina had twenty, something like that. You know, that kind of disparity. Usually, you expect to see. You know, a goaltender like Carolina's, you know, have 20 saves like he did last week against Duke, but we just didn't see that. And, you know, so for Carolina to play such a close game and really could have won the game, they could have. Um, you know, but I, if you had to point to one thing, certainly it would be the face-off domination uh, and Petey LaSalle, Petey LaSalle that, that got it done for Virginia in a huge game and it keeps their win streak alive. But I do think that we're looking at a Carolina team that is going to continue to be a scary team to play. And Syracuse has them this weekend, and Notre Dame has them the weekend after that. Oh, I know a question I wanted to ask you, Jamie. Yeah. Did they change the format of the season? Yeah. Yeah, so now it's uh, four plays five. This year, it's new this year, correct? Yes, new this year. We're four plays five. Four plays five, yep. And then, and then there's a semifinal um, – and then the following weekend is the final. I like that, I think. Yeah, it's better. I mean, leaving one team out, um, you know, is, is brutal. They're, they're, it means their season ends on, you know, last year Carolina season ended on like April 17th. Um, yeah. They didn't make the ACC tournament and they're just done. And, and now they get the opportunity for strength of schedule, RPI, more wins. You know, you're still in it. You know, you win that thing, you're going to go. Right. Um, hey, so we were talking about this before the game, but Michael Krause, you know, had five and one in this game. And, yeah. and I'm pretty sure all five goals were one-on-one -on -one dodging goals, <laughs> which is pretty like off the charts. And then he, 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 he did have 17 shots. He had five <laughs> and one with 17 shots. Right. Ground balls and no turnovers. Right. And, and two penalty minutes. So yeah. we'll that. it's kind of like the Gordy Howe at you. But, uh, yeah. but uh, you know, if you want to point to another thing that Virginia has is they've got a healthy Michael Krause now that is an absolute handful and puts him right into the, into the mix of the best attackman in the country that you just simply aren't going to just, you know, put a guy on him and have, and, and, and not have to deal with it. Um, and I, I, that's so huge because middies are going to have their ups and downs with their shooting on the run, but attackmen get so close. Michael Krause, that, you know, he doesn't usually go five for 17. Usually if you take 17 shots, he'd probably go like 10 for 17. His shooting percentage is a lot higher than 33%. Yeah. 30%. So, um, and, and he's a new Canaan Ram, so he's got to be one of your uh, favorite players in Division One. No question. I, it's, it's great to see him healthy. Fact is, is that I don't think one guy can cover him. Now, we're going to see what happens this weekend when they play Duke and they got two guys – in Van Raphorst and Giles Harris that may end up taking turns on them. We'll see what happens. But the thing I love so much about Michael Krause's dodging ability is that, number one, he does such an 
awesome job of attacking the front of the goal when he comes across the goal and extended that, it, you know, it, it's, it's almost like he can't take a bad shot. He takes 17 shots and we look and we say, oh my God, you know, that's so many shots. With that said, I don't think out of the 17 that he took, there was one bad shot. He doesn't take a lot of bad shots. I agree. If he's getting to the front of the goal consistently against the best defenseman on the other team, and, you know, people are thinking, hey, you know, we don't have to slide to him. If you don't slide to him, he's going to score five goals. Yeah. Right? He might score eight goals. And the fact is, is he can score coming up the left side with a front swing, a question mark, an inside roll. And he can do the same thing coming up the right side. And it just seems like he has such a complete skill set as it relates to creating shots for himself as a dodger. Yeah. And... You know, what do you do? I, I, I frankly think teams would be so much better off to take an athletic short stick and just shut them off and, and slide to the matchups down. Because if you're going to have to slide anyway, why would you use your best defenseman on him if he can't cover him? And that's what we're seeing, that the best defenseman on the teams that are playing Virginia can't cover a healthy Michael Krause. It hasn't happened yet. It might happen this weekend. Yeah. I don't think it will because no. I think the Dodgers are too hard. But if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're losing that matchup, why not just put an athletic short stick on him, shut him off, and make it hard? Michael Krause is an awesome athlete, uh, you know, but he's not like Grant Amen where he can just break out and get the ball. You know, They might be able to two-man with him and get him the ball that way. Um, you know, but then you're risking moving picks, et cetera, et cetera. And they're going to be able to give them the ball, you know, off the end line. But I just think that at some point they may have to try something different. And, and I think that, you know, shut them off, you know, I, I think is something that may change the chemistry of their offense a little bit. And how about go over his head? Slide. What's that? How about when he posts up, go over his head and slide, slide, slide. Yeah. slide to his face? Yeah, I think look, there's a lot to be said for that. It's better than letting them post you up. True. You're going to have um, to that anyways. Let me ask you a question. Name a lefty that has as good of an ability to hammer a right-handed shot as Michael Krause. There's not many. No. There's not many. I, I can't really – no one's really coming to mind that – I mean, there's plenty of lefties that, you know – have a fine right hand and all, but, but he, he can actually hammer it and he does. And he hammers it from more range. I mean, yesterday he didn't have to, but, but he, you know, last year against Carolina, I remember hammering right-handed shots from like nine yards, jump shots. And stuff. I mean, how many lefties can do that? He, he's, he's complete. I mean, he's, he's right and left. And usually, you know, when you get these, usually are. well, you also, when you usually get these super high level Dodgers, you know, you'll have guys that, you know, if they dodge to their strength, they're goal scorers. And if they dodge to their weakness, they're feeders. You know, you, you hear that a lot. But he is a goal scorer no matter which way he dodges. And he's also a great passer. He is. It's just if teams are going to put their best defenseman on him and be slow to slide, he's going to dodge and score. That's what's going to happen. And um, it's going to be interesting to see the way that Duke plays him. Frankly, I – I hope they put Giles Harris on him. I think that's a better matchup than Van Raphorst because I think that as good of an athlete as Van Raphorst is, and he's great, um, I think Michael Krause will cause – is going to be a tougher cover for Van Raphorst than he will be for Giles Harris. 
I agree with you, but please stop calling me frankly. <laughs> Is that how you came up with your name for your dog? Frank Towers? Yeah, and, and really what it was, it was, it was, I used frankly instead of Frank because it was modifying uh, how Frank Frank is. <laughs> he is Frank. I really liked how concerned he was the other day about the poor Very dog. Visibly distraught. TV, visibly concerned. Visibly distraught. Distraught. Disturbed. He would have given all, every money, he would have given every set he had for those dogs. He would have given all his dog food too. Everything. Whatever. Yeah. Shirt off your back type of guy. All right. So it's time for the Oxia Time Ivy League review. Yeah. Uh, so this podcast is brought to us from Oxia Time, John Canaris, former goalie at Penn, led Penn to the Final Four in 88, uh, got out of his corporate job, took a payout, and started a business. His passions in life are lacrosse, particularly Penn lacrosse, and timepieces. So mine is pretty much just lacrosse, Andy. I don't have uh, a whole lot of other passions, um, unfortunately. I mean, I have golden tea. I have golden tea. You have golden tea. Yeah. It's a really good point. That golden tea passion of yours takes you solidly out of the, out of the running of Father of the Year every year. It does. Is- it does. It does. Yeah. But hey, you know, life has its sacrifices, Jamie. <laughs> I love it when I'm talking on the phone with you, and all of a sudden I hear that's a trackball. I actually took it out and cleaned it last week. Did it? Nice. Yeah. But back to back to uh, Oxia time. So um, we're really lucky to have this podcast sponsored. I mean, I didn't when we did this, it wasn't to get sponsored. We had no idea. And uh, all of a sudden, I ran into John Canaris at the convention. And I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I was friends with as I think you were with a lot of Penn guys back in the day, Peter yeah. Smith, um, and Alex Yarnall and um, gosh, the, yeah. there's, what's that? There's a lot of tons of guys. Uh, really enjoyed my times down at Penn. In fact, I, I would love to do an Ivy League flashback of uh, the road trip down to UPenn for the dead, uh, yes, for the dead show. Fall of 1987, but I don't think we can actually talk. That was very one-sided, all in our favor. It was very one-sided. The old pig's foot. So, so anyways. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, can you tell me what shirt Peter Smith was wearing for that dead show. I cannot. Oakland Raiders. <laughs> he loved Lester the Interceptor. Like, did he love the Raiders? He loved the Raiders. So, and Peter Smith had an Oakland Raiders shirt on, and I remember post Pig's Foot looking at that shirt and thinking, you know, it's kind of a confrontational NFL team. And here we are going to the Grateful Dead show. And I just thought it was an odd selection. Uh, but Peter certainly. Uh, marched to his own drum, didn't he? Yeah, well, Peter Smith Peter Smith um, was one of the slickest attackmen that Penn ever had. Uh, really smart guy. You wouldn't have known in college that he was actually that smart. His dad was a professor of physics at Princeton. Yeah. Um, he always had a shiny lip. He always had a shiny lip. And I don't know if that was dip spit or spit or whatever it was, but it was always real shiny. You know, actually, word has it that Coach Seaman at the time was the coach at Penn, and he used to make Peter turn around in huddles because he always had, like, snots coming out of his nose and stuff, and it, it was just disgusting. So, I mean, hey, Sounds Smith, about right. Sounds about right. <laughs> but, uh, but in any case, the um, Oxia Time pieces, John gave one to me and Andy, um, and we're just, like, we're thrilled to have them. So what, what the deal is is this, is that he made these – they're about $5,000 watch. They're Swiss watches. 
Why are they only uh, a, a little under a thousand bucks? Well, because there's no middleman and they've got, they don't have the overhead. They're a small business, but they make awesome timepieces and they've got really classy logos of Ivy League schools, um, which is why we do the Ivy League report. And uh, so Andy and I each got one. I've got the, the uh, brown shield um, in the uh, subtle little logo spot and Andy's got the Ivy uh, strewn over the of the B logo and uh, they're really sweet so it's it's graduation time coming up uh, check them out we're really uh, thankful to John Canaris um, and uh, now we're going to get into a little Ivy League flashback and so you're going to like this one and uh, we probably should have done this earlier but I want to take an Ivy League flashback and talk a little bit about the late great Paul Schmoller yes Paul Schmoller was the same grade, same class as me. I was at Brown while he was at Cornell. Uh, they beat us all four years. He, had, he was an All-American as a freshman. He had great games against us. We had close games against them. Um, but every single year, you know, they had great talents. And, they, you know, they went to the championship twice, once in 87 and once in 88. And um, really were the best team in the country in some ways in 87. They could have won it. Um, and it was a lot to do with Paul Schmoller. Now, Schmoller ended up being, he and I were on the North-South team together, on the North team together in the North-South game, 1989. And uh, I really had never hung out with Schmoller, and I was so pumped to hang out with him, just like, uh, you know, hanging out with all the guys. It was a total blast. North-South game is kind of like was such a big deal back then. It, you know, now with the MLL and all this other stuff going on, it's, it's not quite, doesn't quite have the luster it used to have. But I'll tell you, hanging out, our goalies were, were Sal and Schmoltz. As you can imagine, like we won the game like 15 to six or something. Right. I'm like hanging out playing catch with Schmoltz before the game. Oh, by the way, it was tournament of champions. So it, you know, it was like, remember tournament of champ or remember the uh, game of the champions. So like Hobart would play Hopkins in the, in like an exhibition. Yeah. Stuff like that. So anyways, I'm hanging out with Schmoltz. I'm like, let me see your stick. And I look at it and it's, it's, it's a dye job, you know, it's red, it says Cornell, and, and, but it's like a, it was a homemade dye job. And, and, and he had in letters written on the side in like crooked letters. So imagine like crooked print letters that were all like, you know, for lack of a better word, just not online. It said, warning, colon, may contain toxins. And that was his, uh, what, he, what he put on his stick. <laughs> And I was like, oh, man, this guy's a beauty. So then Smoltz was the, was the assistant at Cornell. A couple years later, he ended up being the assistant at Cornell while I was the assistant at Yale. And we yeah. ended up having a great time on the recruiting trail, driving through upstate New York, and reinventing the game, um, listening to tunes, driving in my Jeep, and, and, and like talking about the pick break for like a couple of hours. We were like, wait a minute, why don't we do a pick on a fast break? And we'd never thought of that. We thought it was a great idea at the time. And, um, so that was, um, that was my little uh, flashback to Paul Schmoller. I know that you know Schmoller in your own way. Um, give, us a, give us an – oh, the last thing about Schmoller, though, is that, like, I could never wait for him to answer a question. I would have to, like, answer. Yes. I, I, would, I would answer the – I'd be like, Schmoller, what do you think about this? And he'd be like oh, – <laughs> And I'd be like, bang, I'd come out with the answer before he could even do it because it was just – you know, that was just classic Schmoller. Oh my God, Schmoltz! He just was. There's just nobody like Schmoltz. You know his quirkiness. You can't say, "Oh, Schmoltz, yeah, he reminds me of like this other guy." There's like nobody that you 
can look at and say, oh, he's, he was like Schmoles. Like Schmoles' uniqueness was just unparalleled. Like, you know, the thing that I loved about Schmoles, and I was fortunate enough to, to work with him for a couple of years at, at Dartmouth and, you know, but we'd see each other on the road all the time. This is what I loved most, most about Schmoles is that, you know, when we would all go recruiting on the road and we'd all see each other, in the stands at these high school games in the playoffs. And, you know, the teams that I coached usually were out of the playoffs, so it was still a little colder. And yeah. we'd go to these games, and everybody would have their respective college jackets on, you know, that Dartmouth lacrosse, and, you know. Everybody would have theirs, and Schmoles would be like in a, a hand-knit sweater with like a really high collar. And you just, you thought that he was like some lost college professor that was like coming out to watch, you know, his neighbor's son play or something. And little did you realize that this guy is literally like a Hall of Fame worthy goaltender, one of the probably best three goalies in the history of the sport and just you know, one of the biggest winners ever. Like, you're not going to find anyone that truly in their heart had a better ratio of humility and able to play the game at such a high level. Like, the only, the only thing he was more than a great player was just a humble person and – one of the most random facts about Schmoles, which I love, is that he was a world-class chef as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he used to cook for Timmy and Liz Rock and Tato and, you know, all of those guys. And, and of course, Timmy would let him because Timmy likes favors for him. So um, it was all, all for favors. Well, you know, Timmy's available. If you can get a tea time on your golf course, Tim's available to make it into town to play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got, a, I got an opening next week. You can get us on. <laughs> Thanks, Timmy. It's great to know that. But Schmoll's legendary. It's a, that's an excellent oxy of time. Walk down memory lane. Yeah, no doubt, man. Miss Schmoley, great guy. Um, everyone who's listening here probably feel, the, feel the same way. No tears. Cheers. Let's talk. Cheer. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's um, let's talk about the game. So Harvard Cornell, Cornell with a 1911 win over Harvard. Um, you know, not surprising. No, uh, on the on the score. Right. Um, what are your thoughts? Not surprised at all. Uh, you know, it kind of is the score that we kind of thought it would be. Right. Um, you know, you thought it would have to be a lot of offense from Cornell. They haven't been a great defensive team all year long. So to see a game. Uh, you know, with 30 goals doesn't surprise me. It's kind of exactly how you think that game would go. Uh, huge games, obviously, out of Jeff Teat and Clark Pedersen and, you know, Chase Ireland over 55% save percentage. John Piatelli, you know, again, uh, this is a team that's very scary offensively. And if they can figure it out on the defensive end and compete at the X and, and get you know, the type of consistency they've gotten the last couple of weeks out of uh, Chase Erlin. I think that this is a team that can beat anybody. 
so I'm not surprised by this score. It kind of is exactly what I thought it would be. Yale Dartmouth, 20 to 6. We haven't really talked about Dartmouth much uh, on this show. Um, so thoughts about this game and just the, the level of difference between Yale and Dartmouth right now? 28, I mean, it was 20 to 8, I guess. Um, 28, 26. 26, yeah, I guess it was 4-4 four, four early, and, uh, and then it happened, you know. Um, did the Yale guys have a big Friday night? I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. All I know is that certainly Yale came about and ended up covering. I had heard a rumor that, it was, that Yale was minus 11, on Lax Vegas lines. I don't know if that was the final line, but good to see that they covered. Uh, you know, how about this stat? I heard Yale had 82 shots. I mean, are you kidding me? No. That's like, that's like 82 shots. That's like sneaking an eighth grader into a fourth grade lacrosse game. Um, you know, the faceoff group for Yale, 28 for 30. TD Ireland was 23 for 24 with with 20 ground balls. Wait, did you say that Yale shot 80 times? 82 times. Is that, is that a fact? Is that stat correct? Um, I'm pretty sure that's the stat line. Uh, you know, what's your score 20 goals? What's that? How do they only score 20 goals? Maybe they're just working on getting resets. Could be. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stat on I remember you know when you were coaching at Dartmouth and you used to talk about like the stat on how many people look like they came that lived up there that like look like they um came out of a far side cartoon all of them <laughs> like which one comes to mind which far side one a anyone any particular the, the one where uh the really really fat kid is sweeping up in the bakery and the boss is like looking over at his pad and he's wondering where all the profits went. It said something like, you know, Andrew, who was the guy sweeping up, was hopeful that the boss didn't know where that 13th donut was going out of the baker's dozen each day or something like that. That's how it was. You know, that, that's, that's, that's what sticks out to me. They didn't have a far side where people were driving ATVs into the trees because that seemed to be the lead news story every oh, morning. Oh, yeah. That in meth, meth labs? Yep. That would be a meth lab. And usually it was probably an ATV that was, that was racing either from a meth lab and drove into a tree or was racing back to the meth lab and drove into a tree. But it was almost always a meth lab that had been found in the woods and an ATV that had driven into a tree. Well, I do take credit for um, giving you the terminology of your Twitter bio, because when you were up there and you're like, dude, I just want to be in the city. I don't want to be outside. I'm like, dude, are you hiking? Are you skiing? Are you trail run? You're like, no. I'm like, oh, you're an endorsement. Yeah. I don't hike. I don't swim. I watch sports on television. I like all buildings, right? Do you like smoky, smoky areas? I don't, I, don't, I don't do endurance sports, Jamie. I'll do that. <laughs> Smokier, the better? Yep. So, Brown Penn, you went to this game. Yes. Huge, you know, uh, huge, decisive, huge win for Penn. I mean, Penn has a chance to, you know, be the number one seed in the tournament. Brown is fighting to get in. 
we were hoping that Brown was going to be able to get it done, but Penn was just a little bit too strong. What was the, uh, what's the breakdown on that game? Brown played hard. You know, I really like how hard these Brown kids play. I think they got some really good players. And I think that um, they played hard enough to win. But I was super impressed with Penn and the way that they were just able to manage how hard Brown competed for everything. And in the end, just had too much offense. You know, the kid Goldner was six and one. Um, but the guy that really, really impressed me was the freshman midfielder, number 26, Sam Hanley. He's, he's such a beast, Jamie. He's so fast. He can feed with both hands. He can shoot with both hands. He was two and four. You know, had four and four. He only, he only took five shots, you know, and, and, and scored two goals and had four assists. Um, you know, but I, I, I loved the fact that Brown competed. And, and Penn pulled away. You know, they, they were the better team, um, and they deserved the win. But I was proud uh, to, to be a Brown grad, and, and I felt like, you know, they, they did the best they could. They just got worn out by a better team. And, and it's easy to see why this Penn team has been able to beat Yale and, and beat Cornell the last couple of weeks. They're a scary team. I don't think that they would beat either of those teams if this kid Kyle Gallagher hadn't transferred from Hofstra into Penn. He changes their team. They got a they got a great offense. You know, they got Mark Vancheck, who I think is one of the best defensemen in the country. And, you know, Reed Junkin played another great game. But but the guy that really changes this Penn team is this guy Kyle Gallagher. He was 16 for 26 at the faceoff X. And, you know, you win 60% and you got a good defense and a senior goalie, the kid BJ Farrar, 15, their long stick is really fast. He causes a lot of problems. And you got a, you know, an offensive group that's seasoned and have played a bunch of minutes against a bunch of really good teams. And I think that they know they belong with the best teams in the country. With that said, I don't understand how Quint puts them up at six, and the rankings have them ranked that highly. I mean, they have two wins, right? They beat Cornell by a goal, and they beat Yale by a goal. And they've played a really good schedule, losing to Penn State, Maryland, and Duke as their other, you know, they played five top 20 teams, which is great, but they only have two wins, you know? And, and now what's going to happen is based on the rankings and the way that they came out this week, Villanova's win over Denver now makes Villanova a high quality win. So now that's that third win. And now I can start to see, you know, why Penn will be up higher than I had them ranked. But again, I go on last week's rankings in terms of measuring what's a top 20 win and what's not. So the success that Villanova continues to have, Penn will reap the benefits of that. And, uh, you know, I think Penn's going to be a tough team to play against with that said, um, you know, will they get past Yale if Yale makes it to the Ivy League final again? I don't know. I don't think so. But they could. They could. Um, but, but I think that Penn now is going to end up coasting to a 6-0 and at a regular season Ivy League championship. So congrats to those players and to Mike Murphy and his staff. Um, you know, what a great run they had after losing the first three games of the year. And the important thing for Penn as it relates to the Ivy League tournament is that this should now put Cornell and Yale 
at you know two and three on the other side, and 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 Penn should have to play the winner of those guys in the finals, unless of course Brown can find a way to beat Cornell and or Yale. If they do, they're going to turn that upside down. Wouldn't it be something if Penn goes six and zero, oh, secures the number one seed, Brown upsets one of those teams, and they finish second or third in the league, and now all of a sudden Penn has to play Cornell again or or Yale again in the first round of the Ivy League tournament, and if they don't win that. I don't think that they go to the tournament with an at-large berth, but I could be wrong. So you're talking about Sam Hanley. I was just looking at his stats. So this, this kid, he's a freshman. He really had, he had like no, no points in the opener against Maryland. I think he had 0-1 against Duke. And then they must have, they must have changed something because I don't really know, but he ended up with three goals against Penn State. He has 15 goals and 16 assists. He's a leading scorer on the team as a midfielder. He's shooting 30 over, over, over 33%. He's, he's 15 out of 43 shots, leading the team in points and assists. Um, as a freshman midfielder, um, you know, he's been a major difference maker. So um, He was just like nowhere to be seen, and then all of a sudden he was like, you know, that huge picture of Kool-Aid that kicked the wall down and all of a sudden is at the party and everybody's having a good time again. You know, it took three games for him to become the Kool-Aid man, but he certainly has done that. Um, you know, if you figure he, out of nine games, they've only really had him statistically explode for seven at 37 points. I mean, he's going five points a game, easy, as a midfielder, no less, which is... Oh, so he's got 37. So the, I was looking at the stats. They must not have updated it. I think he's 17, for, 17 and 20. I think that's... 17 and 20 now, okay. Yeah, I think that's correct. Got it. Um, okay, so... Our, um, and then Princeton ends up taking care of business uh, at Stony Brook. Um, any thoughts on this versus Stony Brook? No, that's, that's about what I thought. What was it, 14 to 4? I, I, I just don't – I'm not surprised at all by that. Yeah. Let's not, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. I'm bored with that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, our Oxia Time Ivy League Players of the Week – I was thinking about going Jeff Teat. I love this game. He had five and three, uh, but I got to go with TD Ireland, who went 23 out of 24 for on the faceoffs with 20 ground balls. I know that uh, it wasn't, you know, a, 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 a lot on the line uh, with a 20 to six victory, but still, I mean, those types of stats are just absurd. They, they really are. You know, I mean, that, 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 that it's, it really is cartoon numbers. I mean, that kid is incredible. He is incredible. Um, my, I, I, you got you had shotgun on the other one because you called it first. Otherwise, I would have probably picked yours. Yeah, I mean, I could say it's Adam Golden over six and one as an attackman, but more impressively to me is Sam Hanley's stat line: two goals, four assists, six points, two goals on only five shots, so forty percent from the midfield, which is off the hook. Um, you know, one ground ball, one turnover, but he just seems. Remember when Rob Sheck used to play for Towson and he'd yeah. like, wow, he's big. And then he'd start to run and he looked like he grew four inches and put on 40 pounds when he'd start to run. Yeah. That's the way Sam Hanley looks. Like you look at him and you're like, he's big. And then he starts to run and it looks like he's just like six inch, all of a sudden six inches bigger than everybody else and 30 pounds heavier than everybody else. And I love his interviews. You know, he just defers all the credit to the leadership of his seniors and 
you know, if I'm a senior on the Penn team and I'm, you know, it's my last go and I got a kid that's tearing it up as a freshman who's giving that much credit to the leadership of my classmates, you know, this is a kid that's impacting the Penn program a lot like David Evans did when David Evans was a freshman at Brown. I mean, he's just coming in and is a man child dominating physically freshman year. That just doesn't happen very much. Max Gold was another one that did that, but statistically he's not like Sam Hanley is. He's not, he didn't shoot 35% and no. he didn't dish out more assists than he gets goals. Right. Um, you know, so yeah, this kid's special. He's playing like a first team all American, much less all Unbelievable. Uh, his dad's a good man too. The in-season edition of the Philosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by Oxia Time. Go to oxiatime.com to learn more about these timepieces. Uh, use the coupon code Bruno100. That's B-R-U-N-O 100 um, at oxiatime.com to get $100 off your purchase of one of these awesome timepieces. You're going to really like them. Um, they feel great. They look great. And they'll remind you of the good old days. Oxiatime.com. So, um, all right. So let's talk about um, this. Let's do some picks. We got some really good midweek games. Um, and we got a huge slate of games next week. So um, let's go with Loyola Georgetown. I got to take Loyola. I'm going to say Bailey Sabio is going to dominate the X and Loyola is going to blow them out. That's what I think. Syracuse Cornell. Oh, you know, where is that game at Syracuse? At Syracuse Tuesday night on ESPNU on the U. Wow. Cornell really needs to win this game. Syracuse's faceoff guy has done a great job this year. And Syracuse certainly I thought was at risk of getting beat by Hobart last week. Um, but I think that Cornell needs it. Cornell is a big week. They play Syracuse this week, and then they play Notre Dame. So um, I think Syracuse being off this past weekend is going to end up taking care of business. I hope Cornell beats them. I, I really, really want Cornell to win this game. But I think Syracuse is going to be too much. And I think that um, – I think they're going to find a way to get it done at home, but I hope Cornell wins. This Midwest midweek matchup has been a good one every year with Notre Dame hosting Marquette. I think that Duke beating Notre Dame the way that they did seals Marquette's fate in this game. And Notre Dame's going to come out with a vengeance and they're going to take care of Marquette. How about Lehigh Bobby Moe? Bobby Moe's been a bit of a disappointment this season. Uh, three and seven after a phenomenal year last year where they, what they do? They won the NEC and they went, they played Maryland. They, they had Maryland really, really nervous in that game. And you would think we all thought that they were going to come back and, and have a much better season. I just think Lehigh has too much for them. I got Lehigh in this game. Duke, Virginia at Duke. Wow. You know, um, I was wrong about Petey LaSala. He's going to have a big matchup. It could be freshman on freshman this week. If you talk to Greg Beast, are you going to talk to Greg Beast this week? Yeah. Talk to Greg Beast and ask him some questions about this matchup, uh, which would be Ginder for Duke, um, 
who is their stud freshman going against LaSala. That's going to be a really good matchup right there. And I think that statistic is going to prove to be an indicator on the way the game plays out. Um, I'm not impressed with either team in the goal. I just think that Virginia's defense isn't quite as strong as Duke's. So I got Duke at home against Virginia. Um, I think that Duke is going to find a way to get it done. Penn State at Michigan. Penn State. UMass at Towson. Um, shocked to see UMass not get it done against Hofstra. Credit Seth Tierney. Great W for him. Huge W for Seth Tierney. They needed that. He now has a win over UMass and over Lehigh, two top 20 ranked teams, which is uh, phenomenal because their record is not great. But this puts him in a great position as Hofstra tries to make the CAA playoffs. This game is always a battle. It's at Towson, but UMass is coming off a tough loss, and Towson is coming off of a, 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 you know, a pretty commercial win versus Fairfield. I could see UMass reorganize, come back, and find a way to beat Towson. I got UMass. Loyola at BU. I just think Pat Spencer's too much. I think Bailey Savio is going to win the faceoffs. Now I'm just going all of them all the time, which I'm such a loser, but I, I do think that's a huge um, – I do think that's going to be an advantage for BU. I, I just think Loyola is playing too well right now. I got Loyola. Brown at you. I, I'd love to pick Brown in this. I really would. But I think that TD Ireland is going to be too much. And Brown's defense, even though they're going to be playing zone, I just think that a team like Yale doesn't beat itself. And if, you, if you're losing at the X the way that a lot of teams have over the course of the year. If you can't compete there the way that Penn's Gallagher was able to compete against Ireland in that game. Um, and I think Brown competes. I just don't think that they're going to be able to do, you know, I don't think they're going to get 30% against Yale. I think Ireland's going to beat them up 75 plus, And I think, unfortunately, it's just going to be too much. And I got Yale winning this game, although I'd love to see Brown win. That'd be huge. Syracuse at Carolina. I got the heels. I think the heels are playing well. I love the changes they've made. I love the, the way their goaltender has played the last two games. And they had a great win against Duke two weeks ago. They lost a heartbreaker against Virginia. Um, and I think that Syracuse coming off a midweek game versus Cornell is going to only give them, you know, two real days to prepare for Carolina, a team that's playing well at home. I think this is alumni day as well, if I'm not mistaken. And I just think it sets up well for North Carolina to play, I, hopefully, their best game of the year and knock off Syracuse. I got North Carolina in this game. It'd be a huge one if they could win that. Uh, Cornell at Notre Dame, Sunday, noon. I think this is a playoff game is what I think. You do? Uh, yep, I do. And I think that um, the good thing for Cornell – You think the loser of this game doesn't make the NCAA tournament? Uh, it, it just depends. They still got – They got so many big games left. They still got games left, so I can't say that. But, but, but I'm just going to throw out an irresponsible blanket statement, and I'm going to say yes. I think the loser of this game doesn't make the playoffs. Um, I worry about Cornell having to go out and play at Notre Dame. Notre Dame playing there is really tough for anybody. Uh, you know, but but the good thing for Cornell is that Notre Dame plays Marquette this week. And so that's a Wednesday game, which means Notre Dame, you know, they're not going to really start to prepare for Cornell the way that they really want to prepare until Thursday. 
Um, you know, and while they are going to get to see Notre Dame is going to get to see Cornell play Syracuse, you know, that's a Tuesday game. And I think Cornell's going to get to play Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame gets to work on Cornell until Thursday and Cornell's going to have another day to prepare. Is that going to be enough to offset a trip out to South Bend and play, you know, Notre Dame? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I think, how Cornell plays against Syracuse is going to dictate this. If Cornell beats Syracuse, I see him losing to Notre Dame on Saturday. If Cornell loses to Syracuse and they're playing for their livelihood against Notre Dame, which I think is going to come off a win Wednesday against Marquette, then I can see Cornell win. So uh, I'm just going to say that I think, um, I think that Cornell shocks Notre Dame out at Notre Dame. Ohio State at Hopkins. Oof, that's another one. I like the way Hopkins is playing. Um, and I think that, uh, I'd like to pick them. I really would, but I just, I feel like it's Ohio state's back is against the wall here. And I think that they have to get this W and I think, you know, Hopkins needs it, like it. Um, but they're not playing for their lives. Ohio state's playing for their lives. Uh, so I'm going to take Ohio state. Villanova at Georgetown. I got Villanova in this game. Um, I just uh, – I think Georgetown's going to get killed by Loyola. They don't, they don't have a quality win yet. I yep. think Villanova has proven that they're they can play. a better team than Georgetown at this point. But I could be wrong. But that's what I think. I got Villanova. And then the Sunday night nightcap, Maryland at the rut. Wow. You know, Maryland – uh, clearly is a great team, but they only have two top 20 wins, Penn and North Carolina. Um, I look at Rutgers, and it seems like every time Rutgers has played well, they followed up with a poor performance or a slow start, and every time they play poorly, it seems like they step up and play well. So seeing that they're coming off of a tough loss where they started slowly against Hopkins, um, I'm going to say that I'm going to say that Rutgers finds a way to get it done at home against Maryland on Sunday night. I got Rutgers. All right. All right, Andy. Well, it's going to be another uh, great week of lacrosse. It's fun to do this. Appreciate your time and your insights um, and uh, have a great week. We'll catch up with you next week. All right, buddy. I'll check in. Yep. See ya. Yep. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com.